Each season, Guys Telling Stories seeks out fascinating people with a good story to tell. I'm Rich Douglas, and this man beside me is my co-host, Bill Easton. We're a couple of guys who love a good story. So join us on our quest to find fascinating people with a good story to tell. This is Guys Telling Stories. All right, Bill, welcome. How are we doing, Rich? Oh, we're doing really, really well. The season three, we're loving it. Yep, it's going great. Yeah, we were getting a lot of good feedback, uh, some fan interaction too on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, and even, and even some Instagram love. Well, we're really excited today about our guest, Andrew Hallam. And before we get to him, let's do Try at Home. For years here at Guys Telling Stories, we've been talking about our ride-sharing experiences in other areas. We talked about how Vegas, and then we get to where you need to go. and we D.C., use, uh, Florida, we love ride-sharing, yep. And Lyft has been taking things to a whole new level. Lyft, L-Y-F-T, is the ride-share app that basically your friend with a car. Mm. Yeah, it lets you request a ride in minutes, and you are on your way. Uh, to a safe, comfortable car, sometimes with a bottle of water, sometimes <laughs> with some snacks, and uh, usually and uh, a much happier driver than... Than, than some of these other... Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I know ride-sharing has been around for years, Bill. We talk about it all the time, yep. but in places like here in Buffalo, New York, uh, it's brand new. It is brand new. So if you are new to Lyft, our listeners get a ride credit towards your first ride simply by using the promo code GTS. So download Lyft, insert the promo code GTS, and you get the ride credit for your first ride. Speaking of uh, listeners, you know, you guys, Bill and I, we're all always shopping on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it right now. Did you know there's a free way for you to help support this show? We don't always ask for help and support, but a lot of people are like, we're loving this season. We're loving the new format. Well, an easy and free way for you to help us out is just head to our website and click on our Amazon link whenever you're online shopping. Maybe you're buying baby formula. Maybe it's gifts uh, around the holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, maybe a basket for your bike. I just got it. Well, you know, whatever it is, you can help us and support the show for free simply by going to guystellingstories.com and clicking on our Amazon link before you shop. It's free to you and it really helps us out. So if you're online shopping, head to our website first. Click the Amazon link. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's get to our guest, Andrew Hallam. Bill, this guy is incredible. I am familiar with his stories. He wrote a book that I read years ago called Millionaire Teacher, and it basically changed the way I look at saving for retirement and investing money. He is someone who is overseas now, and he and his wife, I think they just travel around the world, and they retired super early. So I'm curious. I want to know, what is life like for a early retirement couple who is, you know, in the Middle East. They're far away. Yeah. They are not close. And, you know, how did he do it? What was life like for him when he was teaching and saving money so that in his mid-30s he could just uh, kind of walk away? I know. He retired in his 30s? Yeah, yeah. And he's also an awesome guy. He's into health and fitness. And he, I know he just has some amazing stories. So kind of kind of fun for us. He is in Dubai right now. Dubai. I think he's something like seven, eight hours ahead. Where is Dubai? It's in the Middle East. We're not good with geography. No. All right. I well, know where Dubai is. Well, we can't wait to hear Andrew's story. So let's give him a call. Andrew, welcome to Guys Town Stories. How are you doing? I'm really well, thanks. How are you? Oh, great, great. Thanks so much for doing the show. My pleasure. All right, Andrew, we always like to send people to your social media or your website. I know you have a few books. Uh, where can people find you online or read about you? 
Uh, well, andrewhallam.com is a blog site that I end up linking a lot of the, the articles that I write into. Um, on Facebook, The Millionaire Teacher on Facebook. Uh, so you can access me on that as well. And, and of course, uh, my book, Millionaire Teacher, uh, there's a second edition that was published about three months ago. It was published by John Wiley and Sons. And of course, that's available in all better bookstores and then on Amazon. You know, you are definitely the furthest guest we've ever talked to. Where are you right now? I'm in Dubai. Where are you? Ooh, we're in <laughs> Buffalo, New York. Yeah, so we are East Coast time, and I think that would be about eight hours ahead right now. I guess so. I guess right now, for me, it's 7.23 p.m. Yeah, and we're talking to you. It's 11.23 a.m. You know, the delay makes it sound like it's only six hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, one of the uh, first questions, my, my wife was helping me do a little bit of the research and she was just curious, you know, like, hey, what's it like to, uh, to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be living in Dubai, traveling across, uh, across the world with your wife. And so, uh, so what's going on in your world recently? Oh, man, it's so dependent. It's so different. So, uh, so I do some writing for Canada's national newspaper. I have a column for the Globe and Mail, a personal finance column. And so sometimes I tinker on a story there and I write for them. I publish once every couple of weeks with them. And, and then I write a weekly column for a U.S.-based financial service company called Asset Builder. And so that's a weekly that I do. So I'm always doing a little bit. So, you know, at least uh, an hour or two every day I like to get some ideas going and, and sort of put together start putting together my, my regular stories, which keeps my head going. But uh, last night, just for, uh, to get, give you an example, we were in uh, another emirate called uh, Abu Dhabi, and I was speaking to uh, some British uh, international school teachers uh, last night and then uh, ended up sort of spending the, the head of the school. We stayed at his, his place for the night, met, met, uh, met, got to know him and, and his lovely Russian wife, and then came back to Dubai. And we watched some polo just down the way from where I'm staying. <laughs> uh, I'm staying. In, it's, it's really interesting. You have these levels of wealth, right? So we're staying in this place called Desert Palm, and it's kind of owned by this guy who's a, a, a kind of a friend of one of the sheikhs, and he's a multi multi billionaire. Um, many times wealthier than Donald Trump, but he keeps pretty quiet about it. Uh, and he's got a group of people that play polo just about every day here. And so we just came back from just sort of wandered over. It's about a 10-minute walk, sitting around on the sidelines, chatting with uh, families of professional polo players and just talking to them about, hey, what do you guys do? And how do you float around the world just playing polo? But uh, And then, of course, the levels of wealth in terms of people that play polo is is astronomical. So we're getting all variety of different things and, and experiences and learning about all kinds of different people. So it's kind of fun. This is a little crazy. It sounds, it sounds made up. I feel like you guys are <laughs> pranking me today. I know. It's like uh, Andrew and I are playing a little trick on Bill because, I mean, he's shaking his head and going, I'm thinking, I'm looking at him over across the table here. He's like, polo, like water polo. And it's like, no. I know what polo is. <laughs> I saw them. I, I watch yeah. movies. No, I... Let, and I got to be honest with you guys. I am the pauper among the polo people. Like I'm standing around, and I'm literally my net worth is nothing compared to what I'm seeing around me here. So there are Saudi Arabian princesses playing, and uh, or Kuwaiti princesses, and it's just like, huh? How about that? That guy there. That guy's a, a multi-billionaire. He flies in from the UK. Uh, 
once a week to play polo. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it is one of uh, my my goals. I'm I'm shooting for the stars. I, I'd like to talk to a billionaire at, on the show at some point, ah. and an astronaut, so. and and play polo. And now I got to talk to a polo guy, or maybe play polo. I've never even uh, ridden a horse. I don't think. Well, you have a dog. He's not oh, that big. Man. I can't write. Yeah. Well, Andrew, <laughs> I think I think hearing about that your lifestyle right now is going to perfectly balance out maybe some of the stories from your earlier years a little bit. So this is this is perfect. That that lifestyle right now seems awesome. Traveling around the world, meeting new people, and um, and just having that perspective where you're. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm here talking to these princesses, you know, about polo and these parts of the country that excuse me parts of the world that some people don't even know about you probably can't even point to something i think it's where aladdin was filmed <laughs> aladdin's a cartoon oh <laughs> <laughs> well let's uh let's move people forward a little bit you know like uh life growing up for you where are you originally from can we get into that a little bit yeah i was born in england and my family moved to canada when i was three and i grew up uh, in an interior small interior city called kamloops and uh I was one of four kids, so I've got three sort of twin sisters and a brother, and my father was a mechanic, and not a lot of money, so obviously I had to, if I wanted something, I had to pay for it on my own, which I think, when I look back at it now, was a really good thing, because I, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, I had to get, I got my own paper route and such, but unlike a lot of other kids, that we might get a, a new bicycle at, at at Christmas or for their birthday or the parents might just bring one home just randomly. Uh, I'd pay for my own stuff from, you know, bikes and onward from about the age of 12. So it did teach me that if I wanted something, uh, I had to work for it. Money didn't exactly grow on trees, which I think ultimately lays some really good foundations for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Did, uh, did finance run in the family at all? Well, I think like most kids, you know, I, I had a tendency to be a brat at times and wonder like, Hey, you know, why can't I have, why can't we take a trip to Disneyland like some of these, uh, my friends have done, or why can't I have a new bike? My mom sat me down one day and I was probably about 14 or 15. Uh, and it was, it was one of the best things she ever did. She said, let me show you. She was really honest. She goes, let me show you what, what your dad gets paid. And she showed me like pay stubs and my, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my God, dad makes $30,000 a year. And my mom said, yeah, now, so let's have a look at what comes out of that. And she taught me about income tax. <laughs> right. And then, then she showed me the mortgage payment. And then she showed me the grocery bills, the weekly, monthly grocery bills. And then she showed me you know, how much our, my brother's ice hockey cost. And you know, I was in the soccer league and what that cost. And afterwards, you know, so I started this whole thing by saying, well, mom, why can't I have all these things? And at the end of this sort of sitting with my mom for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, as she was going through the realities, the expenses of life, I looked at my mom and said, mom, how do you do it? Yeah, what'd she say? <laughs> well, you're not playing hockey, you're playing soccer. So that saves. <laughs> yeah, that saves. That's, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, and I, it sounds like it sounds to me like like they were superheroes, like somehow making this all work. But did she did she have a realistic answer that one for you? Like this is how we do it. Yeah, she just talked about how we really budget it. We have to be careful. 
And so obviously I can't get all of these things that I may want to have or some of the things that some of my friends would end up having because their parents have earned more money than our family and they may have had only two kids instead of four kids. And so I, I got it. Like when she was talking to me about, I really got it. So I recognized, you know what, we're from, you know, fairly modest means and we have to be careful with our money. What about um, later on when you got a little older in college? Uh, tell us a little bit about Russ, uh, the mechanic. Yeah, it was one of those moments like uh, – I don't know if you guys have read like much of Malcolm Gladwell stuff. Um, but, of course, the book Outliers is a fabulous book. And, and I really identified with this part in Outliers where he says, you know, there are self-made people. And then there – but there are always these moments, these moments where – uh, sort of fortune smiles on them where they, they may meet somebody ends up being really influential. And for me, that was kind of my outlier moment where I met a, a mechanic while I was working at a garage to pay for my college expenses during the summer. And this mechanic rumor had it, this guy was a millionaire and people had said to me, Hey, if Russ ever wants to talk to you about money, make sure you listen to him. And I thought, you know, like, well, why would this guy, I didn't even believe this guy was a millionaire. Like if he was really a millionaire, why would he be a mechanic? Um, and it turns out one day, you know, he sat me down, took me into his office. We worked the night shift and he said to me, what would you do if I gave you $10,000? And I thought, Oh my God, it's true. He's going to give me 10 grand. <laughs> He's like, I'd be afraid for a second. We're like, Russ, what, what do you want me to do? This is, this is, this is crazy. Oh. It, you know, it was funny because it was kind of godfather-like, right? I think this guy liked to play that role a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I said to him, well, um, I guess I'd put it towards my schooling. And he paused for a moment, looked at me, and he nodded his head slowly. And he said, that's an acceptable answer. Uh, and years later, he said to me, remember that first that first conversation we had? If you told me that you were going to buy like a new stereo or you're going to take some trip, he said, I probably wouldn't have talked to you again unless I had to. He would have cut you <laughs> off completely. Uh, uh, he would have cut me off. You know, this, this Russ character uh, seems like you're... Like you're Mr. Miyagi. Like he's he's about to teach you to, uh, you know, wax the car and paint the fence. So, <laughs> so you know, after your acceptable answer of what you do with ten thousand dollars, what happened next? I think he wanted, um, like, I, I think he wanted to teach people. Like, I think he found something. I guess much like I'm wanting to do now, he wanted to show people that um, there's a way to make your life a lot easier. And so. He talked to me about compound interest, and he showed me how if I invested small sums from a young age, I wouldn't have to save as much money as the regular Joe if I started early enough. And I would end up both wealthier, and I would end up you know, saving less of my income, which, which totally appealed to, the, to my lazy nature. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm game for this. Um, but first, to be honest, what he said to me was like, you got to do $100 a month. Minimum, you got to start doing that. And I was 19, and I said, "There's, there's no way. Like, how can I do 100 a month? I'm paying for my college and the whole bit." And he said, "Look, I've been watching you kind of go over to that vending machine, and you know, you go down there pretty frequently, and you pick up like a can of Coke, and sometimes I see you buy like a bag of chips or a chocolate bar." And so he said, "If you had to, could you buy like two cans of Coke and a muffin out of that vending machine every day if you had to?" And I looked at him and I said, "Well, I, I guess I could." And he said, "Well, knucklehead, do the math." You know, that's like three bucks a day times 31 days where you're looking at a hundred bucks a month right there. 
And I know other people have, have, have used things like uh, the latte factor and mm-hmm. these ideas of, you know, putting away, like you said, three, five dollars a day. So uh, to me, being a college student, be like, I, I just don't have any money, though. I would make an excuse to not do it. Being a little older now, I, I would slap myself upside the head and say, you should do it. You, mm-hmm. could, you could be a millionaire watching polo players in Dubai if you would have if you would have started yeah. at 19. <laughs> so did, did you do it? Did you start right away? you know, putting that money away? I did. I started right away. And again, like he really emphasized, look, it's three bucks a day. And he said, if you start at 19 and that's all you do, three bucks a day, and you earn a 9% return on the money, which is less than the historical average, by the way. So if you look at the U.S. stock market over the last 25 years, it's averaged about 9.4%, despite the the dot com that sort of the tech crash 2001 2003 um where it sort of bottomed out in march of 2003 when the u.s went to war in iraq despite the 2008 2009 financial crisis uh, the average for the market was over nine percent so you know he showed me that, that if you sort of put away this three dollars a day it's hundred dollars a month and he did it from age 19 to age 65 um it would end up being worth at, at the end of it all, um, quite a bit of money, uh, getting on towards a million dollars. And so I was pretty inspired by that. And then as I started to earn more money, I started putting more and more money away. And then by the time I was in my late thirties, um, my investment portfolio had exceeded a million dollars. Congratulations to that. I know that was years ago, but still what an accomplishment. I got to start it wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago. How old do I look? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> nice going, Rich. You hung up. Oh, great. I, uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, I know what you mean. I, it's, it's awesome to hear that this stuff is happening for people in their 30s when they start young. Because I think most people who are thinking of retiring early go maybe 55. You know, if I'm lucky, you know, a friend of mine wants 50. You know, and then you meet this extraordinary person who maybe is 45. But to hear about any, somebody in their 30s, it's just unbelievably incredible. So I know you've got some awesome anecdotal stories about those years while you were saving, while you were, you know, a young man. Uh, which ones do you think you might want to share with our listeners? Something about, you know, living while saving half your money. Yeah, it was, it was kind of fun because, you know, I was a single guy. And in a way, it was, it was a bit of a game. Um, in terms of the investing, no. I wanted to be really pragmatic, use peer-reviewed evidence in terms of how I invested to give myself the, the best statistical chances of success as an investor. So I didn't mess around with money. But what I did do, the gamesmanship for me was how frugally can I live? And especially as a young professional, as a young teacher, I took that to some really major extremes but um but in a sense that's sort of part of my personality too i've done a lot of kind of extreme things physically with sports and and the whole idea of hey for a few years how how cheaply can i live and it's not for everybody but uh but it was kind of fun it was kind of challenging so when i first started teaching i wanted to figure out uh how to end up not paying rent if at all possible. So I did a lot of house sitting. And so if people were going away, I would look after their house. And so, I mean, there were months at a stretch where you know, I'm going from one place to the next and I'm not paying any rent at all, which of course 
frees up a lot of money if you're paying, you know, you're saving 500 a month um, on rent. And of course, that's money that you can either put towards debt reduction or you can put towards uh, investments. And then, uh, and then later I found a place that thought, you know what, it's about time I found my own place. And, and I did get a place that was cheap. It was $350 a month. I still remember that. It included, it included cable. This would have been, you know, just at the beginning of the internet. So it would have been uh, early nineties. And, the only problem with that is that it was it was about thirty two miles from where I worked. <laughs> that's a that's a healthy commute, yeah. uh, even by car. Uh, you know, in some states, oh, yeah. you know, New York City, uh, Los Angeles, a 30, 30 mile commute could take you could take you hours. So, how'd you get from point A to point B every day? Well, I, I recognize that. All right, I can I can drive my car. And obviously, then I'm going to be wear and tear on the car. That's going to cost me some money. There's going to be fuel costs. And because I was really active anyway, I did a lot of bike riding, a lot of running. I thought, why don't I just couple the two things together, my active lifestyle with this frugal goal? And so I rode my bike to work. So that was like a you know 65-mile Actually, I think it was about a 70-mile round trip. It was about 35 miles each way. So I would ride to work in the morning, and I had a mountain bike, and I towed a trailer, which had all of my, my English papers, you know, stuff that I would be grading. And then the crazy thing is, as you probably know as an English teacher yourself, is that I would I would sometimes take the same papers up and down the highway three or four times and not grade them when I got home. You know? <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you're, you pack that bag and you with all the best intentions and, and but it, they just never see the light of day. So you bring them there and back. But you know, here in that distance, Bill is shaking his head right now. I am just, I'm just wondering if anybody pulled you aside to talk to you and be like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and there was one uh there was one woman and i did mention this in, in my book um yeah i was coming home one day and i was i was kind of tired because sometimes you know there are days when you're feeling great and days when you're feeling you're dragging your butt a little bit and i i pulled into a gas station and i decided you know i'm gonna buy like a power bar because i'm really running out of energy so i grabbed this power bar and there's a woman that uh, she worked at my school and she happened to live not too, too far from there. And she was picking up fuel for her. She had a, a cool green little uh, Mazda Miata, little MX-5. And she looks at me and she just has this look of pity on her face. <laughs> and she says, Andrew, we got to start like a collection for you or something at the school so you, so you can get a car. And of course, what she didn't realize is what I probably could have bought four or five of her cars with cash. I was embarrassed for sure. But, uh, but at the same time, like it, it, this does sound like it's really extreme, but at the same time, um, one, it was a game and it was kind of fun. And then two, I would have been doing much of that bike riding anyway. So, I mean, really cool thing was of course that I was able to enter some bike races and, and I grew up bike racing. So, uh, the great thing is I'm, I'm just commuting and I was able to win a couple of bike races that season too, based on just, you know, towing this trailer up and down the highway. That's cool. So besides the uh, the, the commuting and, and the bike rides and stuff, uh, were there other struggles in your in your career path? Yeah, life's like life's just darn unpredictable and every single one of us is is terminal. And when I say that, and I've always said that, you know, in my twenties I remember saying that to people like and I'm pretty upbeat generally and they'd say, Why are you so upbeat? And I'd say, Well, because you know, every day is one step closer to my ultimate demise, so I might as well enjoy it. I'm gonna be dead a long time. But uh <laughs> it, you know, it was two thousand and nine 
So I was 39 years old and everything was just going really well in life. Um, you know, married to a wonderful woman. Uh, it was before I ended up writing Millionaire Teacher, but, uh, but financially I'm in really great shape. I'm enjoying where things are financially. And I was doing a lot of running, a lot of, uh, a lot of competitive running races. And there's a, a really big race that, that's held in Singapore. Actually, they're held throughout the world. It's called the J.P. Morgan Corporate Challenge. And it started in New York, and it was a race around sort of Central Park, which, which explains the odd distance. It's a, a 5.6-kilometer race. And they started holding this race in a variety of different business districts around the world. And you know, in Frankfurt, and they've got it in uh, Johannesburg, and they've got them in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, and of course in Singapore. And there are about ten thousand people that enter this thing, and I'm I ended up being the oldest winner of in the race's history. I believe I was thirty nine years old, and crossed the tape first. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, here I am. I'm I'm thirty nine, um, just turned thirty nine. Life doesn't get any better than this. It's amazing feeling fantastic. Uh, and then shortly after that, I went for a, like a routine medical screen and I found out that I had bone cancer. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, you're on top of the world. You just won (laughs) won this amazing race and it, and it's not because everybody else thought it was a 5k, (laughs) you know, you're in great shape. That's my excuse. (laughs) Life was good. Yeah. What do you do to move forward just a little bit? Those, those first few steps when you get a diagnosis like that. Oh, it's, it's obviously it's brutal. Um, because you don't know, you don't know anything in terms of what's going to happen. Um, there's one, there's surviving, um, there's your survivorship. So for my cancer happened to be in my ribs and it spread into three different ribs. And then it was, it was spreading in towards my, uh, towards my spinal, um, towards my vertebrae. And so like once it gets, you have, once you get the, or the cancer works its way into that spinal canal, you're pretty much done. Like it's, it's really game over. And so I went in and it was really, really close. Um, when they went and had a look to see well, what was going on, it was really, really close to my spine. And so it, during the surgery, of course, they, they try and get a, a decent margin. And so the idea is you, you know, you cut around the cancer and you try to hopefully take some healthy bones on the outside of it such that you don't, you have decent margins. You're not going to get cancerous bits and pieces that are going to continue to grow elsewhere and spread. So, um, the spine was the, the, the challenging part because they needed to get some degree of margin, but it was really close to the spine. And so then you're not really, you're not really, um, you know, you're not really sure of whether you're going to get it or not in time. And when they did the surgery for me, they nicked my, the durum. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaking cerebral fluid during the surgery and they have to sort of glue you up. And that's a bit of an exciting time. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Probably an exciting time for the for the surgeons. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Patch that up, and then uh, and then the idea, of course, is beyond that. It's all right. So after the surgery, can you can you walk and can you move your toes? And did we paralyze you? And and they don't really know until they ask you. You know, you have such a good take on such a, a life threatening uh, experience. Um, moving forward a little bit. You did it give you a new perspective on on life, or did you still have that same kind of cheerful, you know, active, you know, optimistic nature? 
Yeah, it was pretty upbeat. Um, and I guess just sort of born glass half full kind of guy. Um, I mean, nobody gets out of this alive. So I, I mean, I get out of, I get a kick out of, you know, the idea. And my oncologist said, it. he said, it's kind of funny when people look him in the eye and say, well, am I going to die? And he says, well, if you were creeping around 200 years from now, you'd be freaking people out. You know, we're all, we're all going, we're all going to die. And I think it's just getting or making the best of what you actually, what, what you have in terms of the time that you have here. So I mean, I think I was, it wasn't something, it wasn't a, le- it wasn't a lesson I needed, uh, cause I was always, um, pretty happy with, with my lot and where things were at. Even when I ended up going through struggles, I would tend to see the silver lining there. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it does, it does perhaps reinforce that a little bit. It does perhaps reinforce that, you know, every day is a gift for all of us. Did you change anything from this experience moving forward? How did it uh, How did it help you if you, if you did? I, I got a bit. You guys can probably get the idea that I'm pretty extreme with certain things mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of like the physical aspect and then the financial aspect. Um, and I do a lot of reading. So um, much as I did for training as a bike racer, training as a running racer, and and training to be financially uh, independent, I did a lot of reading on nutrition. And, and I did eat well. It was a bit of a, my oncologist said for you, it's a bit of a lightning strike um, that happens to a lot of healthy people. And so what I did do though, is I looked, all right, what is cancer like and what is cancer not like? And, and, and cancer loves sugar, loves sugar. It just, it just gobbles it up and it loves to grow. So every single one of us has cancer cells in our body, but not every one of us is going to get cancer. But if you end up getting a sort of a cluster of cancer cells, and it just can happen very randomly, and then you end up being the type of person that drinks a lot of Coca-Cola, a lot of sugary stuff, you're actually inviting the cluster of cells to form a tumor. Um, and that's pretty much bad news all around. So it's one of those things where I looked at, all right, uh, not that I had a lot of sugar, but I'm completely cutting it out. So 2000, since 2009, since my surgery, I haven't had a, a single uh, Coca-Cola, a single soda of any kind. Um, I haven't had cake. Uh, oh, wow. I haven't had I haven't had a normal chocolate bar. I'll have like 80, 80 85%, 90% cacao. Yeah. I, I drink a lot of spirulina. I put a lot of spirulina in a smoothie every morning. Uh, and just, just try to ensure that I drink a lot of green tea, taking a lot of, uh, green leafy vegetables cause cancer hates that. And just, uh, you know what guys, I just don't want to be like laying on a deathbed one day and saying to myself, what could I have done differently? Yeah, yeah. no, I got it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, the cake would be tough for me. <laughs> I, I literally hold an annual cake contest That's every year thought. around my, around my birthday. Coincidentally, of course, <laughs> coincidentally. Uh, yeah. but, um, but you know, after cake contests, uh, it happens once a year. I, I don't eat the cake for months because I'm just, <laughs> I'm so done with it after that. Well, but, it's all frozen. It's still in your freezer. <laughs> uh, guys, guys, you know what? I don't, I don't actually have discipline in this respect. I'm just a coward. Yeah. You know, I look at, I, I am a coward. I look at that ice cream and I think, no way, you know, yeah. it, it, it does kind of, that part of it does kind of scare me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, that's the reason why it doesn't take discipline for me to walk away from ice cream. I hear that. Well, you know, I'm, we're so happy that you overcame a, uh, such a struggle like that and you have such a great outlook now on life. So, 
you know, if we kind of move forward a little bit, what's currently exciting you um, or even in the near future, what's on the horizon? Well, I'm loving meeting different people, going to different places, seeing different countries and cultures. And what I've been doing uh, since January, I've, I've visited 11 different countries and, and getting in and speaking to teachers uh, at international schools and then uh, people working at businesses and trying to help them with their financial lives. So trying to encourage them to, to be smart with the money that they're spending and then really smart with the money they're investing. And that's a pretty exciting thing. So I've been doing a lot of that. I was just mentioning that I was in Bahrain last night giving a talk, and that was the, the 39th school uh, that I've spoken at since January. And so I speak to the teachers, but I also speak to the kids based on uh, philosophy of money. So not, not just the, the investment aspect, but uh, a little bit of how to think about money and how to live a really great life. And that when you do have some money, experiences trump material things. So purchasing things that allow you to or at least spending money that allow you to do things, enjoy great experiences, time with uh, people you love, time with your friends. Those things are far more valuable when we look at studies on happiness than material things like that latest iPhone. So it's kind of fun to show studies on this, to show the kids and, and to show the, the adults really what happiness studies suggest. So further further down the road, because uh, you, you can't be traveling and, and doing this forever. Um, what what are your goals? What do you what do you see yourself doing? Well, long term, uh, I think I'd like to spend sort of four months in different destinations. And so there were some really cool places that I'd like to just immerse myself in, in the culture. My wife and I love to just meet new people and learn about new have new cultural experiences. So. What we like to what we would like to do is spend four months in one location, uh, and four months then in another, and then four months in a third, and then basically rinse and repeat, so we can go back to a place mm-hmm. and we've already established we've already established connections to that place. We've already established friendships there. Uh, we're the types of people that that really love alternative stimuli. So for us, and again, this isn't for everybody, but for us to stay in the same spot. After a while, I think partly because we've done so much traveling, would would probably get a little bit bored with that. So we'd like to split our home into sort of three different places. That's cool. Yeah, it sounds great. My my wife and I a few weeks back were in San Diego, and I think literally the first second day we were there, she went out for a run and came back and was like, "I I want I want to live here someday." Yeah. And you know, being a little bit more of the, the planner, in, especially in terms of finances, I was like, well, you know, one day we can probably live there for a few months and then we'll have our home base and then we can go somewhere else. And she was saying, yeah, but, you know, then we got to sort of set, set everything up and, you know, meet new people. And I'm like, well, the first time. You know, the first time you're there, but then you travel yeah. back around the next year. So, honey, if you're listening to this, it's possible and we can do it. You know, just uh, a few more years of, uh, of, of saving or planning. And make sure you have a second bedroom. <laughs> yeah, because Bill's coming too. <laughs> well, Andrew, we always ask for some advice. And, you know, you, you speak to you know, educators every single day, people from all over the world. But what would you say to somebody just starting out on their financial journey to, that could help them take that first step on the path to success? Mm, well, I think 
I think always think optimistically and, and make a goal. So regardless of what it is, if it's something you want to do physically, you want to run a marathon, you want to be financially independent, it's kind of visualize it and write it down. So actually put it down on paper somewhere so you can actually see it and then tell a few close friends what you want to do. Because if you want to achieve something and no one knows it, uh, so you want to run the Boston Marathon one day and it's cold and it's 5 a.m. and you know you got to do your long run before work or whatever it is, if you haven't told anybody, odds are pretty high that you might not get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yep. You know, Andrew, for, for maybe a, an older listener, somebody maybe in their 40s, 50s, maybe even, you know, like somebody in 60 years old, let's say. And I say older because, you know, what would you say to them if maybe they haven't taken those first steps properly or they felt like life got in the way, but they're listening to this today and they want to start today to the path to financial success. So what would you say to somebody who, who's in that you know, age range? I'd say you're never going to be younger than you are right now. And so that, that I think is key, is recognizing that, you know what, it, it, it is never too late. So I look at examples of people that they might have a little bit of money in investments and the investments aren't, um, they aren't very efficient. They're high cost mutual funds. Uh, and of course, the greater statistical odds of success are with a low cost index funds. And so a lot of people will say to me, well, okay, I'm, I'm 60 years old. Uh, I retire in five years. Is it really worth me selling my high cost mutual funds and put them into low cost index funds? And, and I say absolutely, because what you have is it's not necessarily how long you're working that counts, but it's how long you're living. Your money when you retire isn't something that you, you blow on the day you retire completely and have like a massive party, rent a catamaran and, and just, you know, drink it all away. <laughs> right. It's, it's one of those things where you need to live on that um, sort of for the rest of your life. So you need to have that money working for you. So a 60 year old could theoretically have money in the markets for another 25 years or plus. And so they'll need to be selling some of that, obviously, to cover the cost of living. But um, but it really makes sense when it comes down to investing efficiently, number one. Um, number two, as well, when I did, do say you're never going to be younger than you are right now, or, or is to make sure that you do save the money that you have. Track your expenses. Once people start tracking their expenses, I don't necessarily say people have to budget because budgets are boring. Budgets are like diets. But if you just track what you spend – Studies show that you end up spending less, which allows you to invest more. And now we get to what I think is the kicker. It's that I would say ignore everything you've ever read about how much money you need to retire, how much money you'll be spending upon retirement or what size of investment portfolio you need, because most of what you read is complete bunk. It's, it's looking at it with a really fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. What a growth mindset would say is, you know what? Where could this money go furthest? And so I'll give you a really great example. When, when my wife and I end up quitting our jobs, we spent a few months down in a, in a fabulous place called Lake Chapala, Mexico. And it's just south of Guadalajara, about 45-minute drive south. The weather is perfect. Elevation is about 5,000 feet above sea level. So it's just this fabulous sort of 72 degree temperature all year round. And we met people down there, Americans, there are a lot of Americans that moved down into that, into that area. Um, people that, that do so because the, the cost of living is lower. Um, 
or people that just do it because they love the, the Mexican cultures. It's a really safe, safe area of Mexico. And we met people living on $1,600 a month there. And not because they had to, like they, some of these people, they had money, but that's all life was really costing them. They were living in like in a townhouse with a, a swimming pool. They had a gardener, they had a maid that came and cleaned the place a couple of times a week. They were going out for dinner three or four times a week. And it's just, it's cheap. And so there's a really great book that I suggest that everybody sort of have a look at, especially if they're wondering whether they're going to have enough money for retirement. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's written by a couple of writers that write for International, uh, International Living Magazine. And it's called uh, International Living's Guide to Retiring Overseas on a Budget. And it's, to me, it's exciting because it goes through and talks about different locations like Panama. What does it cost to live in Panama? What are the medical costs there? Um, what's, it actually, what's it actually like for expatriates? And I, I find this kind of thing really inspiring. And even if you don't want to you know, pull your roots up and move to Mexico and, and stay there the rest of your life, the idea that you could live in one of these low-cost locations for six months a year, typically the I, I recommend the winter. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, and just dramatically cut your costs and spend far less than the typical retiree and I think live better. I think that's that's great advice, and uh, for anybody who, you know, is uh, interested in in taking that first step too, I'll personally recommend uh, your book, Millionaire Teacher. I didn't even understand what uh, you know index funds were or where to put my four hundred one k or four hundred three b or what's the difference between those two and a Roth IRA. And I think your book does a really good job of laying those things out and explaining them in a way where people can understand how they need to start living in order to be living later. Oh, thank you. I had fun writing it. I had fun writing that book. just want to recap for everybody. So we went from spraying down buses to teaching to playing polo. So there you go. <laughs> I guess that's in the, Dubai. Uh, yeah, that's what is it? The uh, summary, the quick there version. Yeah, the cliff, yeah. cliff notes. Well, my, I guess the point is there was no, there was none of this in, in you know, self-made is, is, is exactly what it is. And there was none of this in his family. There was no, no schooling involved with, with this. It was, I learned how to do it from somebody who gave me a tip and figured it out on my own. And that's really cool. Yeah, awesome story. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for, for the interview. And uh, where can people find you online one more time? Social media, your books, website? Uh, just a little reminder for them. AndrewHallam.com and uh, Facebook, Millionaire Teacher. So, of course, my book, Millionaire Teacher, came out, uh, the second edition came out three months ago, and it's available on Amazon and in most bookstores. The finer bookstores. As, as, <laughs> yeah, as, I, as I think you said earlier. Yeah, not, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, available at all better bookstores. Yeah, some of those fly-by-night bookstores. <laughs> so you crappy yeah. bookstores, if you're listening, all you got to do. Hey, uh, I've seen it in crappy bookstores, too. Andrew, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I think uh, Bill said it well. We went from, you know, just growing up all the way to uh, to connecting with you today. And uh, I think people are going to love hearing the, the story and the transition. And uh, it's going to be a little inspirational, Bill, I think. I mean, it is, uh, as, as promised. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing your stories, Andrew. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me onto the show.
All right, Bill. Hey, Andrew Hallam. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I loved hearing all of his <laughs> stories, especially like the beginning ones a little bit about the, uh, the Dubai polo matches with the Saudi princesses. Yeah. I got to start saving money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to read his books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I kind of inspirational too, hearing about his uh, cancer survivor story and, you know, his, his approach on, on mm-hmm. life and his, his perspective too. No, it's, it is kind of cool. And, and I, I try to live my life a little bit uh, like that. Like, you, you know, you got to live for the day. Uh, but he didn't do that for a long time. He was living for the future for such a long time. So the, the philosophy changed once he got to a certain point. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to start riding our bikes 30 miles each way or whatever it was, but we can, uh, we should try something. I'm going to get on a horse, see if I can knock around a polo ball. Yeah, seriously. So if you don't have a horse to ride, you can always go with Lyft, the ride sharing app that will pick you up and give you a ride when you need one. Remember, you can use our promo code GTS. If you don't have it, download it. Use promo code GTS, guys telling stories. Awesome, yeah. And also, quick reminder that you can help us and support this show for free simply by going to our website and using our Amazon link. That's guystellingstories.com. Click our Amazon link to support the show and help us out for free whenever you're online shopping. You're shopping anyway. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. It helps us so much, and we really appreciate it. All right. Well, guys, this has been another great episode of Guys Telling Stories. Please, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Subscribe them, too. Just grab their phone sure. <laughs> and uh, and share this episode Don't with them. Don't look at the pics. All right. Uh, as always, I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. Until next time.